I just like that. Was there just an Oh, explosion? I know what I was going to tell Uh-oh. you. What? I have a good one for y'all, I okay. think. Okay, all right. I heard something about ACDC. Hell's okay. Bells! I love that song. Can we do that? Yeah, sure. Okay, I love. I know we've done ACDC before. We might have even done Hell's Bells, but I like it because what I learned was that ACDC doesn't, you know, they're like, this is bullshit when it comes to any kind of synthesized sound or sample. None of that shit. It's just power chords and testosterone. That's and right. Balls. And that's all you get from ACDC. Well, they didn't want to sample the bell at the beginning. So they had a giant ass bell <laughs> built. And that is the sound of an actual bell. And then they drug that big ass bitch on tour with them. Of course. So the, at the beginning, it would be like, you know, that beautiful beginning. That's an actual. Yeah, like, I didn't know that that was the same bell that they took out the road. With. Yeah. Yeah. They drug that shit around. Interesting. <laughs> that's, that's a whole semi just for the fucking bell. Yes. And that's how you know you've made it, too, by the way. That's it's kind right. of like when Kevin Smith finally had a budget and they were, and he could get whatever he wanted. And he's like, I just want some monkeys on the set. And that's why there's a monkey in Mallrats is just because he could get a monkey. He was like, just bring me a monkey because I can pay. For, like, I feel like the same is true of ACDC. They're like, we want a big ass bell. I'm not going to do a fake British accent. What's up, ding dongs? <laughs> How about that? Power cord What's that. What's up, ding dongs? Oh. In the Dung. style of, of ACDC. That's, that's what I was doing there. I just hope that ACDC is continued in the background so that people can be listening to something other than that. Absolutely. Uh, well, it's what is this? This is the Side Talks podcast, as a matter of fact, where we talk Hells about bells. movies. Uh, my name is Corey Kraft. Who are you? I'm Rachel Morgan. And uh, what's up, Dean Dogs? Mm. What's this what's shit? This? Here we go. By the way, that could easily be Bon Scott right there. That's My right. voice is basically the same. Yeah, more or less exactly. So I have a film for you. I want you to figure out what it is. Okay. Let's see how long it takes you. And as I mentioned just a minute ago, I do have some notes in front of me. But boy, oh boy, did I jump ship on these notes pretty quickly. <laughs> I was just like, this doesn't even deserve my pen to be hitting paper in relationship to this terrible, terrible piece of shit. Okay. A man enters a room. All right. And in the room are his parents. And Uh-oh. I think it's important that I tell you what this man looks like. Okay. He's got a bowl haircut with with shit bangs. Not even bitch bangs. They're like low bitch bangs, like shit bangs. So you like know? Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. Yes. Okay. He's got the teeth are like. All right. Okay. And I know that podcast is a very a podcast is a very visual medium, but you can imagine my teeth looking like the sound I just made. Yeah. That's what they look like. And he comes bounding in the room, and he's going on. He's he's clearly simple. Okay, he's clearly simple. If you have, if you couldn't tell by my description of like they went to the art department and said, "How do we make somebody look really simple?" And they're like, "Well, we give these blunt cut bangs and these teeth." Okay. And so he's he's on about what it's like to be on the set of a film, and how he you know he got some. Exp- I, I, clear, I mean, I, I'm again, I'm just jumping in the middle, or at some point in this thing, I, it might not be the middle, and. So something's happened before, right? And so it's he's had some experience on set of a film is what I'm getting at. Okay. And he then goes, I know a thing or two about you, parents, is kind of the 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 gist of it. But again, in a very simplistic language, that of a of a toddler or something. I know that y'all were in a movies were in the movies before you were movie stars, and the parents then reveal that yes, they indeed were movie stars, and that's when the porn jokes start. Sure. Okay. 
And they then open up a trunk. We were going to wait till you were in college to tell you, but we were celebrities. And they go on the story of, go on a rant to the story of how they were found when they were gone on vacation and were making out on the beach and they were spotted and they got put in porn and they made 60 some odd films or some such shit. Do you know what this is? I think so. Uh, is the gentleman David Spade? I don't know that actually. Hmm. I, I mean, maybe I was so taken by the buck teeth and the stupid hair. But possibly. Do you want to take a guess? No. Do you have any any other details? I mean, other than the fact that he then goes, I think this is my calling too. I think I need to move out to California and pursue this as a job. So is this Dickie Roberts or whatever the whatever the sub born to be a star? It is Bucky Larson. Bucky Larson. Yeah, it's bound David to be movie. a star. Bound which I a, think I feel like this is close Dickie enough. Dickie Roberts is the for, is the child star. Movie that David Spade made, okay. and this is the other. This is the porn star, uh, yeah. Bucky Larson. Bucky and so, Larson. I do, I what do you think, Brad? Do we give? I think we up. give this to him. I mean, I that was so. so close. This is from 2011. I Bucky can't Larson, believe that this, born to be a star. This is the worst shit. I it was making. I get to this place where when people do this shit, where they're with the haircut and the teeth and the whole thing. And this is Nick Swardson, not. Um, not David Spade. It makes me really angry because I'm like, what? I feel like. I could have done something funnier in third grade. You know what I mean? And like probably would have even just cut my hair for it. Just to be like, this is a fucking fucking funny joke. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Yeah. So um, Nick Swardson is one of those Sandler, Adam Sandler hangers on. It's Um, it's not even Adam Sandler funny. And, and everybody can jump on me if they want, but Adam Sandler is occasionally funny, but he's sure. not really like most of these Adam Sandler films are so stupid. Right. Most I, of, most of Adam Sandler's like mainstream comedies that he produces himself. Not very good. Like I don't laugh at these films. And then every so often he'll produce a movie that is a starring vehicle for one of his buddies. In right. this case, Nick Swartzen. Um, and it's some of the worst shit you ever seen. In this your is life. the worst shit. This, I mean, if this were really, if this makes it seem like Adam Sandler is so elevated that those Adam Sandler films are so funny, like you would be buckled over in laughter compared to this. Right. That is how bad this is. It was just infuriatingly bad. Yeah, I I don't think I saw this, but maybe I did. But you just knew it from just from the general context, just not from, even the stupid. I description. knew that there was a dumb like Sandler adjacent comedy that followed this plot. I don't remember if I saw it. I probably did see it. And I didn't enjoy myself at all. No, this was not enjoyable. This made me angry. And I only watched like 64 seconds of this thing. But it, I, it's, I can barely ex- describe to you what this character looks like because you're exactly right. You're going to go straight to already it's been done in Dumb and Dumber. It's basically the hair from Dumb and Dumber with the teeth from you know, some other stupid Jim Carrey film. Sure. Um. Yeah. Sounds great. I. You won. <laughs> you won. I'll, I'll, we lost. Sure. I'll, everybody lost. Yeah. Everybody lost. It's true. And now a look at what we're watching this week. So, guess what I've been watching? What have you Two been watching? Films that I think you'll find of interest. Well, okay. I know that you've seen at least one of them. All right. The other, we both agreed we were a bit disappointed. Kind of hit the theaters and laughed. Yeah. Uh. But the first one is the whale. Uh huh. And the second one is she said. 
Yeah. Okay. So I've seen both of these. Yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on them. So I appreciated and like she said. Uh-huh. I really did. It's a legal journalistic procedural. Yeah. Right. No surprise there. And it's a very it's it's a blow by blow sort of follow the numbers filmmaking, but I think that's fine in this case. It's an interesting I knew a lot of stuff in this, but I uh-huh. don't think the average person knows as much as I do probably about this particular subject. Right. Because it relates to the film industry and it relates to feminism and it relates to I teach journalism, so it relates to journalism. So I, there there's a good bit of of overlap in my areas of interest and my sort of very small little circle of knowledge. So I, I don't know that everybody would know as much as me about this. Although I will argue that perhaps people who are, are drawn to this film know that much. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. And that was one of the issues that I had with it yeah. is that it, it, it felt kind of just like a dramatization of stuff that I already knew without, I, I thought a lot of important context that I think was kind of left out. I think you could see it that way. I'm not going to, I think this is a particular approach and I, I'm not going to question necessarily the approach. I think there's a lot of different ways to, mm-hmm. to go about this, but I think that this is one that feels a bit like this is an important thing to document. Yeah. This is an important thing to have that is a dramatization certainly, but one that's pretty close to the record books of what the hell went down and it's fairly efficient in that context. And I do think it's one of those things that we don't, I'm not upset about this when I see other films do it and win Academy Awards, right? Mm -hmm. This is a pretty typical approach. We see this happen all the time. This sort of legal, you know, blah, 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 or journalistic, blah, 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 blah. And it's a play by play. Yeah. Uh, Films that do this win Academy Awards all the damn time. So I'm not, I'm not mad at this film. No, it's pretty good. It's just not innovative. Yeah. It's, it's just not innovative, but it's still a pretty good film. And and I'll argue that the performances are really strong. Ashley Judd's a little weak in it playing herself, which uh, is Samantha probably just Samantha Morton awkward. is awesome, though. Yeah. In her one scene. She she comes in You're and she right. just kind of blows the movie up. And, yeah. Uh, she's great. Um, probably the best part of the movie for me. Yeah. I think overall it's a, it's really strong performances kind mm-hmm. of across the board. And you it is the texture of the New York Times. You do get that... It, this is only one step away from something like page one, which is a documentary about the New York Times. It right. really you get a good vibe for the day to day there, and and I think the postpartum stuff is is maybe a little unnecessary, but provides a little bit of the context that you're wanting, mm-hmm. you know, for some of what's going on with with some of the players here. It's of course being pulled from a book, which I think is really difficult to do. Overall, I'm happy with this film. I wish it had done better at the box office. I'm also need to dive into that a little bit more and really look at the numbers because notoriously. People like to say that these films about women do so poorly and they maybe don't do as poorly as, as the numbers suggest. That's true. But this one was a pretty big was it disaster yeah. at the box and office. Like, like so many other movies this year have been yeah. that are playing in this more sort of adult realm. Um, well, maybe that's the bigger point, right? Is that there's a lot of, well, this is, you know, this is why we don't make movies about women because nobody goes to see them. I don't know that that's fair because there's a lot of films that have, that are at this level that have also kind of done a wah wah. Yeah. Uh, the Fablemans, the new Steven Spielberg sure. movie has done terribly. Tar did terribly. Yeah. Um, we're, I mean, Damien Chazelle's Babylon is, is bombing. I mean, it just, if, if it doesn't have, um, the, uh, Navi of the, the planet Pandora, um, in it, it's not really making any money at the box office right now. That's the unfortunate truth. Um, but, um, yeah, she said was a particular, I think 
box office failure. It is not the only noteworthy box office failure no. of the last several months, though. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. And I'll say this really quickly about The Whale. I had a very experiential uh experience, if you will, with the whale. So I go, I wanted to go to an early morning screening because they're happening right now, which yeah. is rare in the Birmingham market it is. to go to a multiplex at 11 a.m. Let's just call it's it. It's pretty great. <laughs> I, I freaking love it. I'm a big early morning film person when on, on a day that like a Sunday or a day that you have off. And I did have yesterday off and I took myself to the movies to go see the whale because we tried to book it for sidewalk and couldn't book it. They let AMC drag us for a while with it. So yep. I went and supported it there at the AMC. And I went in and I did what anybody would do when they're going to see a movie about a morbidly obese person. I went ahead and ordered a flatbread pizza and a soda to be delivered to my chair. Oh, my God. Yeah, you see where I'm going with this? I do. And I had gone into the film. I'm so sorry, y'all, for giving so much context. But I, I hope that well, you'll appreciate it and enjoy this. Well, this is important if you've seen The Whale. I go in and I had gone, I'd gone in with the start of a headache. And about once every two years, I have a migraine. Uh-huh. It just happens to me. I don't know once what it does. Once every two years? About once every two years, I have an eye-splitting yeah. migraine to the tune of I've got to get somewhere to a safe space level. Yeah. And there's no predicting when it'll happen. There's nothing that leads up to it. It starts with a regular headache, but I get regular headaches too. So you just never know when it's coming. Well, my headache starts getting worse and worse and worse as I'm watching this film. This is not the movie to get a migraine during. And and this film is incredibly one location, incredibly gross out in so many ways. And I have eaten the pizza at this point, half of the pizza. And I've drank the soda, and I'm starting to feel the migraine come on. And all I can do is smell the rest of the pizza and watch him eat the chicken in the movie and the the whole thing. And just, I mean, it's there's no surprise at what you're getting yourself into. You've seen the you've everybody's seen the screenshot at least of Brendan Fraser, right? So it's. I mean, I don't even know how to tell you that I am having sort of like just thinking back on it. I'm having like a nauseous reaction to the whole experience of seeing this film, which maybe that's a pat on the back to Darren Aronofsky. I don't know. It's typical for him. This is less assaultive than many of his movies are in its filmmaking style. You don't have like the super coked up, like rapid cutting of something like Requiem for a Dream. But it is in the same ballpark of all of his movies showing, you know, a character's self-destructive tendencies and how they manifest um, in this case is, is with the character overeating um, quite a lot. It's a really gross film, really, really gross film. And I, I get that it's a sweet film. I get that there's other things about it other than being gross. And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to fat shame. That is not at all what's happening here. It is intentionally it is intentionally in your face with overeating in a particular way that is upsetting to to look at visually. Yeah. Even if I, I don't eat meat, but even if eating a bucket of chicken is really enjoyable and fun and delicious, I don't I haven't done that in 30 years. I don't know, but watching somebody do it at, at this at this level is not pleasant. So anyway, I and I get that the film is getting criticized for all the things that I'm kind of highlighting sure. here and and kind of poking fun of a bit. Well, not maybe poking fun of is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. It, laying into a bit. And so anyway, my whole point here is that uh, I experienced it. I left. I, the migraine hit. I had to go home and go to bed. And I feel like I had a, uh, the whale fever dream. 
So my experience of this was unique. I kind of think this is how everybody should see the film. <laughs> it's to bring on a migraine, to eat a greasy pizza, to feel like you're going to throw up all over yourself. It's uh, There's no other way. I think I enjoyed the film more because of it in, in retrospect. But anyway, I I think we see eye to eye on this. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's it's a good film. It's a it's good. Uh, you know, the performances are better than the screenplay. I think the screenplay is kind of dumb. I think the screenplay is kind of dumb. It has a lot more weak points than I thought it would. Uh-huh. I don't. I'm not all in all on board for every part of this thing. It gets a little silly at points. The one location is is stifling. I don't love it. It it reads like a play, and that is one of my pet peeves about films that are taken from plays, is that it reads like a one-location play, and it, I'm not really sure why we didn't just leave it at the play. I'm, I'm a little more forgiving of that sort of thing, yeah. I think, than you are. You but are. You're, you're right. It is stagey. And it's stagey. if you are the sort of person who criticizes movies for being stagey when they are adapted from oh, a stage play, like you're not going to like The Whale at all. You're not going to like it. Uh, the performances are really good most of the time, a little weak at points. Especially from Brendan Fraser, I think ninety percent of the time he's good. Ten percent of the time, I'm I'm having a little trouble, hmm. and maybe ninety five percent versus five percent. But it's a hard performance. I'm going to give him. I'll give him a little bit of grace there. And I, where I'll give Aronofsky a little bit of grace is that, you know, Black Swan is not a kind film, but it's got the camp to take the edge off. Sure. And I know we've argued about it before, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Mother is a really unkind film. And I think The Whale is just straight up a very kind film. I, I don't think the things that I'm saying are done in a way that people have been critical of them being sort of shaming and nasty. I actually don't – I didn't get that from it. I didn't either. I can understand how somebody might take that away from certain elements. But overall, I kind of think – that element has been a bit overstated. It's gross. The film is gross. But you know what else is gross? Being a human being yeah. has really gross things about it. And I think Aronofsky's onto that all the time, fairly frequently. Yeah. And so being human is kind of gross. It can be really gross at times. It can be really beautiful at times, but it can be really gross at times. And grief is really gross. Grief is really dirty and really terrible and really gross. And that's what this film is about. Sure. I mean, his his movies are all about, to some degree or another... Again, visiting um, some sort of either modification or or harm onto the human body, yep. and his his movies are very sort of physical in that sense. So yeah. This is a this is sort of a natural. Um, you, you can trace his sort of thoughts on this from Requiem for a Dream to The Wrestler to Black Swan to to Mother. To all some have degree. really gross. All yeah. have a really gross thread. Aronofsky, you're gross. You're a gross filmmaker. I'm not saying it to be bad. It's not, it's not a negative. Not but, a negative. But, but, it, but he nasty. is. You I mean, nasty. He's and, and generally kind of assaultive and, f- yeah. you know, forcing an audience to sort of consider, as, as you say, how being trapped in a human body is kind of a disgusting, a disgusting thing. <laughs> anyway, I'll shut up now. I talked enough about my disgusting experience with the whale and ooh, migraines really are terrible, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, I unfortunately get pretty yeah. bad migraines from time to time. Um, and the last time I was at a movie where that happened, it was during um, s- the the animated Spider-Man movie that came oh. out a couple years yeah. ago. And that, that's a very big, loud, colorful, sort of kaleidoscopic Oof. movie. And I think that contributed to me ultimately not really loving that movie as much as everybody else did that year. Into the Spideyverse? Yeah. yeah. Which is a movie I like. Don't get me right. wrong, but but when I saw it, I had just this horrible, horrible headache. Yeah, um, and that didn't it'll, do it any favors. It'll really put you in one direction. Anyway, I'll be quiet now. And what have you been watching? I've been watching a ton of stuff. I'm I'm only going to highlight a couple things. Um, 
two recent releases and two older releases. I've been watching a lot of old movies at home, um, so I want to highlight a couple of those. Okay, movie number one. We've said a lot of things about John Travolta on this podcast recently. Right. Um, but one piece that I had always been missing from the John Travolta puzzle, I finally went back and watched. I finally, for the first time, watched Saturday Night Fever. Okay. It's awesome. You love it. it I loved it. I love okay. his performance okay. in it, particularly. Talk about unkind movies, right? Well, and that's, I think, that's the thing is I, I, I like this film too. But I think where I get off track with this film isn't about the film itself. Uh-huh. It's about everybody else thinking this film is fun. No, it's not. And acting like this is a fun film. It is a really, really tragic it's, film. It's and a, a crushingly really, really like, bleak movie about, you know, these these people trapped in this, like, this lifestyle that's going yeah. nowhere. and the Dumbing the, each other down. The fleeting moments of pleasure that they have, as the character puts it, it you know, when they're on the dance floor, you know, they, they are able to transcend this, this horrible circumstance that they're living in, these horrible circumstances they're living in. And the movie sort of treats it that way, right? Yeah. Like these are the things that, that help these characters take flight, you know? Uh, Tony Manero, the character that John Travolta plays, is an ape. He is a misogynist. Yep. Yep. He's a horrible, you know, a, a young man hopped up on testosterone who is just prowling these discotheques and, and the streets of Brooklyn with his buddies who are just as bad as he is, you know, trolling for women, mistreating, you know, most I mean, of the women they encounter. I don't want to spoil this for anybody who hasn't seen it because I think there's a lot of people who haven't seen this, but there is an, in particular a very disturbing yeah. scene in this film. Oh, God, yeah. Um, really, really, really rough. Um, and he, you know, instead of being a, a, again, I'm trying to dance around it. He offers no comfort. Right. Um, in, in fact, uh, very pointedly, the, the thing about this ape though, this ape man is that he looks and he moves like 1977 John Travolta. Right. Um, which is his, I, I think he identifies it as his potential ticket out. And so the, the movie is about like, him trying to practice for this dance competition. But the dance competition is not like the stakes are so low. The yep. dance competition is at this dingy disco. Like yep. if he wins it, who gives a shit? It's ultimately? not American Idol. No. And, and I think that's the journey of the film, like him coming to realize that the stuff he's been living his life for is leading him nowhere. Yeah. It's self-destructive at best. Um, and at worst, he's not only destroying himself, he's destroying the lives of, so many other people around him. It, it's it's a, a 70s gritty New York movie in ways that the, you know, the, the Bee Gees led cultural impact of this movie doesn't really capture. Like, as you say, I think people yeah. like before they see the movie, you're like, yeah, I know that movie. It's the disco dancing movie. It must be just nice and fun. No, no, this yeah. is this is this is Mean Street's. But every so often, people dance. And, you know, again, I see why it became a cultural phenomenon, because the dancing really is that fucking good. It is. And, and it's, it's beautifully directed. Stylish and really fun to watch. And I will say Travolta's got charisma, and he's got this... And I think that's a little bit about what the film is about. It's like this, this like X factor kind of thing yes. that doesn't necessarily mean that you that that you succeed just because you've got it. 
And especially when you're trapped in this world that's very difficult to escape. And where it's come up for me is I've had, I don't want to name the na- name names, but we had an organization come to us who kind of said, this is going to, this is an anniversary of this film coming up and we want to have this big Saturday night, lo- uh, Saturday night fever party. And that'll be the theme. And there's some connections to Birmingham with this film because mm-hmm. the writer and, and so we should celebrate it and have, you know, this and that and show the film. And I, I said, okay, I just want to pause everybody really quickly because this film is not one that you watch and then you go eat nachos after and party. It really, or, or cheeseburgers, probably more like it because that's what he eats in the film. That's right. But it, it's it's tough. It's it's a really tough film. And especially it, it right towards the end, you have something really traumatic happen and i don't know that this is a let's go to a party afterward film and you know does everybody not agree and what i realize is everybody kind of goes oh i've never seen it yeah see that's the problem like watch this movie and i think you know if you've just kind of gotten the impression of what it is from again all the pop culture references you'll find that it's quite a bit different i think than you're expecting it's a great character study. Yeah, it is. Too. I think it's all it's the same thing that happens when again, not to spoil anything, but Rocky doesn't turn out the way you think no. that, that it's it's marketed to, right? With the hands up in the air. Yeah. So anyway, um I'm glad that you that you took a look at it and that we're yeah, on the same it's, page. It's, it's an awesome. interesting one, right? It's yeah. it's an awesome movie. Um really, really I mean, enjoy it again is kind of the wrong word for it because it is so tough, but I was I was surprised at at how much I got out of it it's got a grit to it yeah it i does. mean just aesthetically even it's got a grit to it that's i think really lovely and of the era and is really i haven't seen repeated do you know what i mean it's I the do. kind of thing that that oftentimes you'll see with flashback sequences or 70s referential shit that they try to capture the grain of but it's just it just can't be repeated it, no. it's there and it's there forever um but it's not to be recaptured yeah i totally agree um, and then the other sort of classic that I want to highlight is a movie that I really should have seen years ago. It's it's David Lean's uh, classic romantic drama, uh, Brief Encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, Celia Johnson and Trevor Howard are the leads of this. It's a it's a British film where they are both uh, married people who meet by chance at a train station. They uh, spend some time together, gradually fall in love, but of course. Uh, the the tension and the question is: Are they going to blow up their their lives yeah. with their spouses to be with one another? Um, and it it sort of is the template for so many sort of longing and contemplative romances that have come uh, in years uh, following. For instance, uh, something like uh, Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise and the yeah. sequels to that. Um, so I, I don't I won't talk to you long about that, but it's a classic for a reason. Um, the the screenwriter is Noel Coward, the famous British playwright um, who worked with Lean on a ton of movies. Um, and Brief Encounter, I think, is the most fondly remembered of their collaborations for a reason. Really, really awesome movie. Uh, I'm highlighting that because I watched a bunch of film noir and, and westerns, uh, classic Hollywood yeah. stuff that, that I don't feel the need to highlight here. So I, I will now talk about the two reasonably recent releases that I watched over the holidays. The first, uh, Glass Onion, the yeah. sequel to Knives oh, Let Out. me guess. You love it. I love it. Yeah. I do. Shocker. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a comic whodunit yeah. with um, famous actors being silly uh, with some 
contemporary relevance. I'll just put it that way. If you haven't seen this, and I feel like a lot of people who wanted to have seen it on Netflix I think already. Most people, I think I feel like the whole world's seen this. Yeah. Um, I, Unlike I, she said. I won't, I won't talk too much about it just in case, um, but it's a really satisfying sequel to Knives Out. It's not as good as Knives Out. Knives Out to me is one of those sort of lightning strike rewatchable movies. I, I love yeah. Knives Out. Um, but this one's a lot of fun, um, and it almost hits the heights of, of Knives Out. I can I can say that. And then finally, um, yesterday I went to the theaters to see Babylon, the new yeah. film from Damien Chazelle. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think. I love Whiplash, Damien Chazelle's breakout movie. Right. I loved La La Land. I loved First Man, his his yeah, Neil yeah, Armstrong yeah. movie with uh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I really don't like Babylon. I am surprised. I, I did not I think that's where you were going to go like with it. this. This thing is like Singing in the Rain by way of Boogie Nights, by which I mean it's this this sprawling sort of ensemble yeah. story set at the period of Hollywood history as movies are transitioning from silent film to sound film. So already it's playing in especially if you're a Singing in the Rain fan or a fan of classic Hollywood some very familiar territory um and it kind of stays in that familiar territory um the the thing about babylon that is getting the most attention is how outrageous it is and it's filled with like smutty gross out humor and nudity and shocking amounts of drug use who cares but but really yeah the the thing feels kind of bereft of imagination ultimately the the story is a classic sort of rise and fall story you see brad pitt's uh silent film star modeled off of the actor john gilbert right um sort of you see his career kind of start to fade as sound pictures uh become the standard you see margot robbie's sort of it girl clara bow-esque uh starlet have a swift rise uh in popularity but as sound uh, comes into the picture. She goes on this sort of self-destructive spiral. And then there's this uh, Mexican-American movie executive played by a newcomer named Diego Calva, who just wants to be part of something, you know, bigger than himself. And so, you know, the the whole thesis of the movie is like, yeah, movies may be made with a series of ethical compromises, and they may be made by people whose lives are in complete disarray. And the making of movies may be, you know, extraordinarily difficult behind the scenes for any number of reasons, but what matters is what's up on the screen. And I get it. You know, I get it. I get it. I didn't need three hours and nine minutes of this story playing out much the same. And then, you know, as we get into the last hour and Tobey Maguire shows up as a menacing sort of gangster who looks a lot like Robert Blake in Lost Highway. Um you get the sense finally that like does he does he know where this movie is going? Does is this movie going anywhere? And the ultimate answer is not really. Mm-hmm. The ending is kind of disastrous, to be honest. There, look, I, I don't think this is a terrible movie. It's a really uneven movie. Yeah. There are segments and sequences in it that well, are awesome. It's ambitious, yes. It's extraordinarily ambitious, and I have to give it some credit for that. Looks great. The score is great. But my man Damien should have done another pass or two on that screenplay because it feels 
in a lot of ways, like a season of television that's been condensed yeah. into a three-hour yeah, yeah, yeah. movie. And there's there are things about it that, that just aren't done justice. Um, so a misfire from a really talented filmmaker in Babylon, I just, you know... I, I can't hang with it. I'll probably watch it again when it comes out on like Blu-ray or whatever, but I don't know about this one. Well, I, that sounds shame to be a shame. Yeah. I'm, I'm I, bummed. I'm bummed. I'm, I was hoping this would be good. Actually. Well, you know, I, I'm curious if you, if you catch it, what you make of it. Yeah. Um, I'm planning to take a look The the runtime is a bit of a turnoff, but you know, and it's it and you feel it. That's no. the problem. But it, but again, you know, there are segments and sequences in this really when the movie's on a movie set, depicting the making of a film. Um, and there are two noteworthy and major sequences that do that. Um, those sequences are all really strong. It's the behind the scenes stuff that doesn't really come to life for me. Well, I am excited to see it and we will revisit it because you took a blender, uh, you know, you, you just embrace the blender approach that was Elvis. That's true. I did. So I don't, you know, I can't really, I feel like this is some of what you're describing sounds like the same bullshit and you couldn't yes, tolerate it here. So I, we'll see. Yeah. I think there's, there, there are differences. I can't articulate off the top you. of my head, but, but there are differences and, and yeah, I'm, I, I'm very curious to hear what you think about it. Yeah. I need to see it. All right. Well, that's what we've been watching. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Side Talks podcast where your own personal, cinematic, impossible sausage and cracker barrel regulars. What? Oh, is it? Okay. I think I know. Like Cracker Barrel was like, hey, what if we did some meatless options? And everybody was like, we will burn your fucking yes. restaurants to the ground. Yes. Cracker Barrel regulars are like, what are you doing? They didn't take anything off the menu. I just need to point that out. All they did was add some impossible sausage to the menu. They didn't take anything away. As a matter of fact, you can also get a beer there now. So they've only been Whoa, adding what? Yeah, a beer or some cheap wine. And this Cracker Barrel regulars had a fit and said, y'all be serving woke food. Woke food. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm pretty sure they put meat in like the coffee at Cracker Barrel. So, like, they definitely put bacon grease in it. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you can like <laughs> your, your vegan or vegetarian bullshit can take a hike. Even if they didn't, whoever's washing the dishes is, has perma-grease hands and just sure. leaves a smear of grease on the dishes, and you're going to be eating bacon. You just are force-fed bacon when you walk in the doors of Cracker Barrel, let's be real. Now that I know that they sell beer at Cracker Barrel, though, I kind of want to go get like. I was going to say, man, let's go to the barrel and get some, some beers and some uh, woke food. Some woke food. We can play that peg game. I'm all about going to Cracker Barrel, even though I don't eat meat. And I'm happy about this veggie sausage, even though, again, there's definitely... There's definitely some drippings from the ceiling on it of bacon grease. There's no way around. I would house the basket of biscuits that they brought up. If I have beer in one hand and like a basket of biscuits in front of me, yeah. a biscuit basket, uh, game over for everybody, yeah, including myself. Well, probably. I think the best part, because I've been, I've been and ordered the wine and it is like, it's the worst. Like, just imagine. It's country wine. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't, it's like, you know, it's like Paul Mason or something. But anyway, it's it's the worst of the worst of that brand, though. And But the best part is that they don't really know what to do with themselves. It's kind of like going to Salt Lake City and going to a bar. <laughs> you know, it's like they don't really, know, they're like, not really sure how to bring you a glass of wine. It's, it's 
like watching bumper cars. <laughs> so not only is it enjoyable because you can get woke food, because you can actually order something with alcohol in it, but you also get to watch the process of everybody being mad, everybody around you being mad when they bring that impossible sausage out and them not knowing how to pour a beer. Well, I would say in this this comparison, then you are the the impossible I sausage. And I, I'm the... Cracker barrel the, regular. The pitchfork and, and torch... <laughs> Uh, wielding <laughs> masses, ready to, to flip over tables and stuff. Absolutely. Uh, what a what a weird situation. What a weird world this is. Am I right, folks? Isn't it? It's a strange world out there. Um, we'd like to think we make it a little less strange here on the Side Talks I don't podcast. Know about that, but you know, I'm going to go eat some woke food. I do know that. Well, thanks very much to Batwell Studios for putting the show together. Thanks, Brad. You're welcome. And um, thanks to you for listening. Visit us online at SidewalkFest.com or on social media at Sidewalk Film, where you can see what we're doing at the cinema. I don't know if we're serving any woke food. I we definitely we ha- are. We have woke food. We have woke food. Well, you heard it here first, folks. And we also have beer and wine. Definitely and we also have that. cinema. Which is also a good thing. So come see a movie with us. Get some woke food. Get some beer and wine. Play a peg game. Do we have the peg game? No, but you know what? Damn it. We need the peg game. We should get the peg game. And I'm the dreamer in chief. (laughs) So I'm going to be making the peg game happen. You heard it here first. We got to get the peg game. Uh, All right, folks. Well, thank you again for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.